You know, if you, wanted to, if you wanted to start a really good discussion around the water cooler or at a family reunion, all you have to do is ask this question, which religion is the right religion, right? I mean, if you want, if you want the smoke to start flying and sparks to, to, to sizzle, all you have to do is ask that question, which religion is the right religion? That does get asked a lot because, because of what happens in our world today with war religions, you know, the conflicts and this and that. It's a question that, that, that goes around. And Americans, um, we, we've, we've kind of come to grips with it. I'm not talking about necessarily us, but just basically Americans as a culture. One of the things that you hear a lot is that people say, well, there are so many religions out there, and there's probably some good in all religions. Uh, so I, I don't, I, I, I'm just not even going to think about it. I'm just not even going to think about religion at all because there's so many. Who can know? It's almost as if there's some moral high ground and not making a decision because there are so many religions. But probably the, uh, the attitude du jour for Americans is to say, well, I'm, I'm tolerant. I just, I think every religion is okay. And certainly we are tolerant. You know, when the word means that, you know, live and let live and it's a free country and people are, have a right to think and believe the way they want to believe, absolutely. We, we'd all agree with that. But today, tolerance has kind of taken on a whole new meaning. And that idea is that there's a sort of equivalence among all belief systems. That, you know, if you believe that Muhammad was right, then you're here. And if you believe Jesus is right, then you're here. And, and if you follow the Buddha, then you're here. And if you're Hindu, you're here. And if you choose not to have a God, then you're here. It's just like there's, there's a sort of equivalence among all, all belief systems. And the, the issue with that is that Jesus gets kind of stuck on a shelf with all these other characters. That, you know, it's, it's okay. You can believe anything you want to believe. And, and I'm not here to, you know, I'm not here to press you into believing anything. Because if I did, you'd just do it because I, I encourage you to do that. And, and I don't want to do that. I, I want you to think with me this morning. I want you to think clearly. Do you believe that basically all religions are the same. If you do, then you, you owe it to yourself to ask a very fundamental question. And before we get to that question, let's just think about this. Inherent in the idea of a religion is that religion is going to take you somewhere. You know, what's the point of being religious in our, in our world if it ain't going to take you anywhere? When you, when you die, it's, it's going to leave you in the ground. So well, let's ask that question. Do you believe that all religions are going to get you somewhere or that it's all going to be the same regardless of what people believe? Because if a person believes that, essentially what they're saying is there is probably some God behind this whole thing that just sort of lets you come in no matter what religion you have because after all, he was going to take you to heaven anyway. So if you have a religion, that's good. So if that's what a person was thinking this morning and all religions are the same, could I just ask you to, to, to perform this fundamental step with me? And that is, how would you define a religion to yourself? What constitutes a religion? I mean, there, there are all kinds of religions in our world, thousands of belief systems in our world. In your mind, if, if all religions are basically the same, what constitutes a religion? I, I don't think most Americans even go there. I don't think they get that deep. They, you know, we have a kind of a sappy way of thinking in America today. We don't get very deep anymore. What constitutes a religion? What makes a religion? 
See, the term religion, it's just a, it's just a categorizing term. I mean, you know, we, we categorize particular kinds of thoughts. I mean, we, certain kinds of thoughts are mathematical. Certain kinds of thoughts are medical. Certain kinds of thoughts are scientific. Certain kinds of thoughts are artistic. We, we just, we, we, we apply terms like religion so that we can categorize thought. So then, what is a religion? And this is the biggest question of all. What is the underlying truth that comes before that term that categorizes thought? What I'm getting to, and maybe, maybe I should just make it simpler. You know, two plus two equaled four before anybody invented the term mathematics. It wasn't once we got mathematics as, oh, we're going to decree that two plus two equals four. No, no, no. That happened before the term mathematics was there. I mean, long before there was chemistry, two parts hydrogen, one part oxygen was water. Chemistry didn't decree that so. It was true before there was chemistry. And that's what I'm asking about religion. See, the idea is that, you know, it doesn't really matter what's true. You have your truth, I have my truth. And that's what's getting us in trouble. I'm an old guy. I'll be 50 this year. And I grew up in, you know, went to public school systems in the 60s and 70s. And it was a, a peculiar time to go to school. For all of you here are my age, you know, you can maybe remember some of the things that I'm going to talk about. The Russians launched a satellite in the late 50s, and we got terrified that we were behind them. We thought they were way out in front of us. Subsequently, we discovered with the release of documents that we weren't behind them at all. But there was this it was sort of cultural paranoia that we were behind the Russians and we had to get caught up with them. And so the intelligentsia, the powers that were, the intellectual powers said, listen, if we're going to catch up with the Russians, we got to change the way we educate our kids. We got to educate our kids better. Okay, we all agree with that. And the, the idea that the intelligent educators came up with, and, and probably factually to some degree, they said, you know what, the problem with our educational system is that you got a teacher standing up in front of the room, and he or she's just giving facts to the kids. We got to teach them to think for themselves. So we got to teach them more inductive style of learning. And that worked out pretty well with most classes, because after all, at that point, the issue became not what the answer was, but what the process was that led to the answer. Answer didn't matter anymore. It's how you got there. That's probably okay with literature, a few other things like that, but they ran into a problem with mathematics. Because with mathematics, the answer is the answer. Now, I can remember in the late 60s, when all of a sudden the buzz that was out there on the streets was about the new math. Most of you have never heard about this, for good reason. But anyway, the new math. Oh, it's terrifying. I can still remember as a kid, you know, mothers gathering at my church or, you know, in civic areas, you just see women clustered around and they were, how are we going to deal with the new math? The new math. Well, I got to school and I found out that basically the new math was comprised of base systems. And we're on base 10. You know, you got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. You run out of, you run out of numbers. You got to put a one there and a zero after it. Ten. But with base systems, you could have base 8, base 5, base 4, whatever. And let's just take base 5, for instance. You, you 1, 2, 3, 4, but then 5 became the completed number of the set. It became 10. So it was 1, 2, 3, 4, 10. There was no 5, 6, 7, 8, 9. 11 was 6. 6 became 11 in base 5. Well, it was a piece of cake. I mean, I remember acing it and thinking there's nothing to this. But I remember thinking to myself as I learned all this, this isn't going anywhere. And it didn't. 
It didn't take very long for the educators to phase it out because 10 is 10. 5 is not 10. 11 is 11. 6 is not 11. The answer did matter. It wasn't just the process of getting there. The answer mattered. And that's what I'm trying to say to us. I'm just, I'm encouraging, you can walk out of here today and you say, Mark, I just, I reject Christ out of hand. I reject Jesus out of hand. Well, that's up to you, but all I want you to do is to think today. What is the underlying truth? Because I'm going to tell you what I believe today. I don't believe there is any such thing as religion. I believe it's a non-starter. It's a non-entity. I don't even know how a person would define it to themselves. Because the underlying truth is what matters. We live in an age today, I was listening to Rick Warren last night on television, and Rick, who wrote Purpose Driven Life, was talking about how that today, you know, it's okay to, in our culture to believe anything as long as you don't believe that Jesus Christ is the way to heaven. Isn't that odd? You know, we, we live in a time when, when anything Christian or biblical is being pushed out of, out of public life, and you know, the guys, it's done under the guise of, well, we're struggling to know what the First Amendment says. You know, we have the wall of separation between church and state, which really isn't any of our official, official documentation. It was in a letter of Tom, from Thomas Jefferson, but it's now become part of our nomenclature. So now you hear that. Well, you know, we've got, the, we've got to separate church and state. We've got to keep God over here. We've got to keep public life out of, over here. But isn't it weird that no kid gets hassled about taking a Koran to school or wearing a shirt with Hindu characters. But there are kids in, in not every American public school, but in some in, in America today where if you wear a Christian symbol, you get sent home with that. They're, they're, the Bible has actually been considered hate speech in some thankfully rare school districts. Why is it just Jesus is being said, you know, pushed out of life? I mean, right now, we got this big thing going on about these cartoons that were published in this Danish newspaper. And, you know, all of us are kind of shrinking back from that and saying, oh, man, look, look, look. <laughs> Do you remember 15 years ago here in the United States that there was an artist who submerged a crucifix in a jar of urine? And there was an expletive there about Jesus, and it was, it was presented in the United States. And, and, and we were supposed to just say, hey, that's art. And he charged thousands of dollars for that. By the way, do you know who paid for that? You and I did. That was a project of the National Endowment for the Arts. Isn't it peculiar that it's okay to, to swallow any belief system as long as it's not Jesus? Well, my question for us today is, is it, just something, is it just something that's happening? Is it that we're a culture that's struggling to, to interpret the First Amendment, or is it something more sinister than that? In the Bible, in 1 John chapter 4, the Bible tells us that it is something more sinister. John writes, this is how you can recognize the Spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming, and even now is already in the world. Well, I'm not going to take time this morning to talk about the Antichrist, because if you study the Bible, you know there's this world leader character that's going to be the very opposite of Christ. The Bible calls him the Antichrist, and we know that that's a fact. But what John said is really interesting to me, because he said the attitude of Antichrist is already in the world. And that's what you and I are contending with today. It's not that... You know, we're just struggling to figure out the First Amendment. 
There is a pervasive attitude that is anti-Christ, against Christ. And it's deceptive. I'm going to, if you'll let me, I want to read this out of the Amplified. The Bible says, Every spirit which does not acknowledge and confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, but would, look at this, annul, destroy, sever, disunite him, is not from God. That's what the actual Greek language means there. I, I thought about those four terms there. The spirit of Antichrist would do four things. Number one, it would annul Christ. What does that mean? Well, what happens when somebody's marriage is annulled? You know, divorce breaks up a marriage. With an annulment, you say it didn't happen. And there, every, there are spirits in our, and you know, there's attitudes in our culture today that would like to say Jesus didn't exist. There's a guy in Italy that filed a suit against a priest saying the concept that Jesus existed as a human being was fraudulent. It's foolish because history is replete with history of, of, of stories of Jesus. But there are people that would annul it to say it didn't happen. Destroy means to wipe, wipe out the followers of Jesus or those who teach the teaching of Christ. And that's popular today. To sever would mean to cut him loose from God, to say that Jesus was a nice guy, a teacher, but he's not really connected with God. Or to disunite him, which means I accept Jesus as this, but not as this. I'm willing to accept him as a great man, but not as the Son of God, to somehow separate him from what he actually is. And John said this attitude that's in our world that would diss Christ this way is the very spirit of Antichrist. It's not something haphazard or random, or something that just happened to come along, John said, it is a pervasive attitude in our world today. And that's what we're dealing with. I want you to think about this. I'll be back to talk with you in just a few moments. May God bless you. stand please if you would how deep the father's love for us how vast beyond all measure that he should give his only Sing this verse, please. Behold the man upon a cross.
I love this next verse. I will not boast in anything. Sing it out. I will not boast in anything. No gifts, no power, no wisdom. But I will boast in Jesus Christ. a better word than all the empty claims I've heard upon this earth it speaks righteousness for me and stands in my defense Jesus it's your blood sing that with me your blood speaks a better than all the empty claims I've heard upon this earth speaks righteousness for me, stands in my defense. Jesus, it's your blood. What can
This morning, we've been talking about the spirit of Antichrist, and, and how it's already in our world. There was a time, about 2,000 years ago, when it was running rampant through the city of Jerusalem, because within hours, our Lord, Jesus Christ, would be crucified on a cross. But there was an upper room in which 11 of his followers met, and when the sentiments were running so high against Jesus, they celebrated for the first time what we're going to celebrate today. They celebrated the First Communion. So I'm going to invite those who will serve our, our congregation to come forward. I'd like to ask you to remember several things. Number one is if, if you've accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, we invite you to participate with us. Now, we may not be your home church. You may be away from your home church, but if you've accepted Christ into your heart and life, we just count you one of us today. So please take the Lord's Supper with us. Second thing I want to say to you is, you know, sometimes people will read a text in 1 Corinthians 11 that talks about receiving the Lord's Supper unworthily. It's really a, a bad translation. Really, it means to accept it in a cavalier way or a way that doesn't take it serious. But many of us would, would wonder, am I really worthy to take the Lord's Supper? If you've accepted Jesus, the blood you just sang about is what makes you worthy to receive the Lord's Supper. None of us is worthy on our own. And uh, so if you've been forgiven by Jesus... You, you may receive. It's a great time to ask yourself if there's anything in our lives that needs to be right. Thankfully, you can talk to the Lord during this time. So the third thing I'd like to ask you to remember is uh, when you receive the, the bread and the uh, cup of juice, would you hold on to it for a little while because we're going to take the Lord's Supper together at the end of the service. So it, you'll have to hold on to it for a few moments, but it'll be a great thing. And then finally, I always say this because I know that we've come from many different kinds of backgrounds. Please know that this juice and the bread do not become the actual body and blood of Jesus Christ. They're symbols. 
And if you've invited Jesus Christ into your heart and life by taking this juice and bread into your body, you're, you're symbolizing the salvation that you've experienced. So please know that what you're about to do will not make you saved. It will not make you a Christian. You're receiving the Lord's Supper because you have accepted Jesus. And that's what you're celebrating. So we're going to ask the, uh, the men to serve the congregation. I'll ask you to be seated for a few moments. And I'll be back.
Well, in the first part of the sermon, I challenge you to think in a different way, perhaps, than some of you thought before. Because the question I asked you was, are all religions the same? Are they all equal? Is, is there good in all religions? And I, I challenge you to go a step deeper and ask yourself, how would I define religion to myself? If it's true that all religions are equal, what then comprises or constitutes a religion so that I could identify it for myself and say that it has merit and that it's going somewhere? Well, it's a challenging thing, isn't it, for us to, uh, to answer ourselves. But in the second part of today's message, I'd like to ramp this up a little bit. And I'd like to ask you another question, because the Bible tells us that someday we're all going to stand before God. And he's going to ask us to give an account. So, you know, here I am, Joe American, you know, Joe Cosmo, Cosmopolitan, I'm stepping before God, and God calls my name, and I come up before him, and I say, God, the way I look at this is that there's some good in all religions, and I kind of looked at it, all religions were equal. Didn't really make a decision because I figured it didn't really matter. All religions are good. And so now God looks at you and says, okay, define religion for me. You think it's a challenge to define religion to yourself. Imagine what it would be like to define it to God. Because now somehow we've got to suggest to God that there is a legitimacy in any kind of belief system. So suppose God did ask you or me, okay, tell me what a religion is. What would constitute a religion? Well, most of us, I mean, we might use different terminologies, but religion is one thing pretty, pretty well. A religion is an attempt to find God. Isn't that true? I mean, whether it's Buddhism or, or, or you know, even so-called Christianity, or even if it's agnosticism. In agnosticism, man thinks he's God. So religion is a man's attempt to find God. When I, when I study the Bible, I don't see any kind of roadmap for us to find God because the story of the Bible that underlying truth, remember, that's more basic than any kind of categorical definition or categorizing definition. The message of the Bible is God's quest to find you. Religion is man's attempt to find God. Truth is, God wants to find you. That's why you and I would have such a hard time explaining religion to God. Because before the world was ever created, he had a plan to find you. And so to somehow stand before God and say, hey, God, you know what? Any, anybody's way of trying to find you is all the same. God is saying, no, no, no. It's not about you finding me. It's God's plan to find us. That plan is all wrapped up in his son, Jesus Christ. The Bible says in John chapter 3, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son. You think it'd be tough to sell God on the idea that somebody else is as important as his Son? And what he put his Son on the cross for to save us? I mean, the Bible says God loved his son and gave his son. Why? Because it's not religion. It's not our attempt to find God. It's God's quest to come to us. 
That's why the Bible says in Philippians 2 verse 9, therefore God exalted him, that's Jesus, to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. See, the idea of which religion is best doesn't even, that's why I've been trying to talk to you about the last few weeks. It's, it's not even the right, it's not even, a, it's not even a, a logical question to ask because we're not finding God. God is finding us and his way of finding us is through his son. In Ephesians 1 verse 9, the Bible says God's secret plan has now been revealed to us. It is a plan centered on Christ, designed long ago according to his good pleasure. And this is his plan. At the right time, he will bring everything together under the authority of Christ. We talked about the Antichrist who's coming someday. We didn't spend a lot of time talking about the individual, but we know that there's a period of time called the tribulation the world's going to go through. It's going to be really rough, awful. But right in the worst part of the tribulation, there's an announcement. The Bible has this in Revelation 11, verse 15. The Bible says, Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices shouting in heaven, The whole world has now become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. I know I say this a lot, and, and you hear me repeat myself, but that's why, folks, I tell you I'm not into religion. That's why I tell you I'm not a religious person. Because I'm all about Jesus Christ. He is the Son of God who came into our world, God's way of contacting us. And anybody may receive him. doesn't matter what your background is, what you've done, all the sins that you've done. doesn't matter what your race is. doesn't matter, you know, what your, what your story is. He invites you in to come freely. What a wonderful invitation. So what do we do? I mean, what's the takeaway from today's message? You know, I've shared with you that there's this pervasive attitude that's against Christ, and we're watching it, we're watching it play out. And, and I've talked to you about how that Jesus is, he's alone. He is, he is God's son, that there's nobody you can compare him to. So what do we take away from that? Three things. Here's the first one. If you've already received him, be encouraged. I get discouraged sometimes. I'm not going to lie to you. You know, the Ninth Circuit Court says that under God can't be in the Pledge of Allegiance anymore, even though they get temporarily overruled. That, that gets under my skin, you know? When a little girl is told that she has to take her Bible home because that's hate speech or that she'll get expelled, that really does get me hot. You know, I'm like all the rest of us. We get agitated by it. But could I just remind all of us, as we get closer to the tribulation period, and thankfully we won't go through it, but we get closer to it, could I remind us all today that we have every reason to be encouraged because the paradigm is about to shift. And you may feel like on occasion that following Jesus makes you, you know, somebody on the outside looking in. But the Bible says if you've accepted Christ, you're on the inside looking out. So I just want to encourage you today to be encouraged. As someone has said, I've read the last chapter, and he wins, and we're with him. Second thing, 
Those of us who are followers of Jesus, like I said a few moments ago, we can get agitated. You know, when the, when the movies make fun of Jesus and, and uh, you know, we, we see Christ being excised more and more from public life. If we're not careful, we'll go about things the wrong way. We'll begin to make enemies of the people who are victims of the spirit of Antichrist. You know, we, we, we make a real mistake when we, when we walk around with a sign that says, I hate the ACLU. That, that's not going anywhere. Listen, just lift Jesus up. Just live like Jesus wants you to live. I mean, that's what the world's looking for. There, any place where Christ is in any human being, there's a fragrance around that person. If you take out your metaphorical sword and start swinging it at anybody who's against Christ, what you'll discover is you'll make enemies of the cross of the very people that Jesus is trying to reach. So I want to encourage us in these last days, just lift up Jesus. That's why we're celebrating the Lord's Supper today. Honor him, worship him. You know, light never shines as brightly as it does in a dark place. Thirdly, if you've never invited Jesus into your life, I want to encourage you to do that today. The Bible says that Jesus came into our world, God's way of finding you. He lay on a cross willingly in order that he might pay for all the sins that were separating us from God. And then he rose from the grave. And today he's in heaven. And he's listening. He's waiting to hear from you. In fact, he says he's standing at the door and knocking, wanting to come in. And he said, if anybody will open the door, Jesus said, I'll come in. It's as simple as that. And if you've never invited him in, see, I, you know, guys, the last thing in the world I want you to do is to accept some religion. And the last thing I want you to walk out of here saying is, well, that, that man said his religion was better than any other. You just missed the whole point because I'm telling you there's really no such thing as religions anyway. They're not, they're not legitimate entities. What I'm telling you is God loves you and he gave his son for you that you could have eternal life. And if you'll receive him, you can have him and everything heaven offers. And all God is waiting on is for you to say yes. Now, here's what I want to do. I want to pray a prayer with you. It gives you a chance to say yes to him. I want to say something. Every once in a while, somebody will say, well, you know, when I accept Jesus, how, how am I accepting him? Am I accepting him as my Savior? Am I, am I accepting him as Lord? Am I accepting him as my teacher? You know, when I accepted Mary Alice to be my wife, I got everything Mary Alice was. <laughs> you accept Jesus, you get, he is who he is. He is Savior. He is Lord. He is teacher. He is Son of God. You accept him. You get him. You get him everything, everything he is. And you have to want him. You have to want him in your life to be your Savior and your Lord and your God. But most of all, you just have to want Jesus. Okay, here's the prayer. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, I believe you died to pay for my sins. I believe you rose from the grave. I accept you. I receive you. Come into my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Simple prayer. But if you prayed that, I'd like to ask you to do something. Before this hour ends, would you just take the part of your worship folder that's detachable and put your name on there and 
Check the, just check the spot and say, I've, I've accepted Jesus as my Savior. I've made the most important decision in my life. And you can put those in the boxes at the back of the worship center or the base of the stairwells, and we'll get some material to help you get started walking in your Christian life. Well, we do celebrate today. We celebrate that our Lord came into our world and gave himself for us for that we might have eternal life. Would you now take the elements of the Lord's Supper? The bread which represents the body and the fruit of the vine which represents the blood of Jesus. And if you have received him as your Lord and Savior, I invite you to celebrate who he is. And they did eat and they did drink. May God bless you. again I say amen and it's still raining well as the thunder rolls I barely hear you whisper through the rain I'm with you and as your mercy falls I raise my hands and praise the God who gives away and I'll praise you in this storm and I will lift my hands for you are who you are no matter where I am and every tear I've cried you hold in your hand you never left my side and though my heart is torn I will praise you in this storm. I remember when I stumbled in the wind. You heard my cry to you. You raised me up again. But my strength is almost gone. How can I carry on if I can't find you? As the thunder rolls, I barely hear you whisper through the rain, I'm with you. And as your mercy falls, I raise my hands and praise the God who gives and takes away. And I'll praise you in this storm, and I Every tear I've cried, you hold in your hand. You never left my side, and though my heart is cold, 
I will praise you in this door. 